And if you have a Bible, uh, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's uh, after Proverbs, which is after Psalms in the Old Testament. Let's today look at Ecclesiastes 2, verses 12 through 26, uh, through the end of the chapter. Solomon speaking about his own experience. Uh, He's seeking meaning in life. Where does meaning and purpose in life come from? He says, then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he's already done. Then I saw that wisdom exceeds folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, As it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there's no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man in all his labor for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrow, sorrowful, and his work grievous. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? Or as other translations say, apart from God. For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting, that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that you have chosen to speak to us. You are not silent. You are there. And you are not silent. Lord, speak to us today through this portion of scripture. Give us understanding that we might interpret it rightly and then apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, is there any meaning? Is there any purpose to the existence that we have? This short existence that Stephen alluded to in his prayer, uh, that we are indeed a vapor on this earth. Well, Solomon's been seeking to deal with this answer, relating from his own experience what he found, what he discovered. 
And thus far in the book, we've seen that he looked at pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. And he said that was vanity. It did not bring meaning to his life. And then he talked about wisdom, uh, earthly knowledge and, and wisdom. And, and that, too, did not satisfy him. But today he is going to return to wisdom and contrast it with uh, madness and folly. And what he learns on reflection is, well, it's a good bit better to be wise than, than to, you know, to be foolish. Right? Well, that seems pretty obvious, but there's a caveat uh, that though that is true, he says the same events in life, the same things happen to the wise and the fool. Uh, death itself happens, of course, to us all. And then Solomon says, even though wisdom is better than folly, everything happens the same to everybody. So is there really a point uh, you know, to it all? And, and of course, there's no surprise that uh, as he thought about these things, he concluded that they are vanity. <laughs> and that word, as we know, uh, as we've learned, means meaningless. It means empty. It means futile. It means fleeting. It means uh, very temporary, uh, very short-lived. But, but Solomon goes a little further than just calling uh, things vanity. Here He says in verses 17 and 18, he says, Therefore, I hated my life. Have you ever felt that way? That you just hate life? You hate, you're hating your life as it is? Uh, have you ever said, said that to yourself or, or someone asks you and you're honest and you say, Yeah, how's your life doing? I hate my life right now. Well, you don't have to be, and I don't think Solomon was suicidal here, but you don't have to be suicidal to say, I hate my life. What, you, what we often mean when we say that is, I, I hate my circumstances. I hate the situation that I'm in. Or, I, you know, I wish that I was X, Y, or Z. Uh, you know, if you're older, you say, well, <clears throat> you know, I hate that I'm getting old and wrinkly and that I can't do the things I used to do. I've said that. Uh, if you're younger, you say, well... Yeah, I hate my life. Uh, I hate the way I look. I hate my body. I, I don't have any friends. I don't have any money. Uh, or, you know, you could just go on and on with the list. I hate my job. I hate the way I, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can go on. But you might hate your life simply because someone else doesn't like you. Someone else hates you, and therefore uh, you don't uh, enjoy your life. Well, conflict often does that. Disappointment, difficult circumstances, uh, any number of things can lead us to not only feel hopeless, but to lead with a disgust for life, uh, a, a despair in life. And this is where Solomon kind of was in this passage. And, you know, Solomon had everything that anyone could ever wish for, right? Uh, you want three wishes, you can have anything you want. Here they are, right? And what do you wish for? Well, Solomon already had it. He had everything. And, uh, and yet he still hates life. And, and he falls into despair. So if you and I think, well, if only I had X, Y, and Z, then I would be happy in life. I would be fulfilled. Think again. Because it was the opposite for Solomon. Um, well, there are times, I think, for all of us, uh, moments at least, that make us feel like we hate life. The question is, what do we do uh, with with this reality uh, or with the feelings that, that we have like this sometimes. What does Solomon do about it? 
Uh, well, let's look uh, at this passage. Let's study it and, uh, and, and look at, we'll see his conclusion at the end, which almost seems to not fit with what he says at the beginning. It's a great contrast, but we'll learn some hopefully valuable lessons uh, to keep us full of hope and rejoicing. That sounds better than hating your life and having despair, doesn't it? Hope and rejoicing. Verse 12, he says, I, I turn myself to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. And then he says, what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what has already been done. In other words, Solomon's already put things to the test here. You can't do any more uh, than Solomon's done. His testing and his conclusions from his experiment uh, can't be improved upon. Uh, and no one could have been more thorough. And in verse 13, his initial conclusion is, well, I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. There's a big difference between the two. Uh, and, um, and he's speaking generally more about earthly wisdom, yes, for living a life in this world. And wisdom does have many advantages over folly. In verse 14, he talks about the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Uh, neat figure of speech that he uses there. But <clears throat> the wise person knows what's going on in life. He can navigate uh, the, the things in life, understand what he's doing. But the fool has no clue what's going on. The fool is not in touch with reality. Uh, I think of our world today. Uh, would you say, would you agree with me that there is a significant portion <clears throat> of our population that is not in touch with reality? Uh, think of the trans insanity of our day that we hear so much about. Uh, now, a wise person, and you don't have to be very wise, but <laughs> a, a, a moderately wise person can see that a man cannot become a woman and a woman cannot become a man. And yet the fool actually believes it can happen. And, and, and a man becomes a woman, you see, but you're living a lie, a false reality. Someone asked me once, you know, why are you concerned about this? You know, they're not doing any you know, harm to you. Just let them live their own life. I said, no, I am not going to agree with their lie. To agree with a lie is... It's, it's almost the same as lying. And so uh, uh, think of this person uh, who goes on, perhaps, to, to have surgery in, in accordance with the lie, the, the foolish lie that they believe. And, and so they mutilate their body uh, to identify with what they imagine instead of what is real. And, and, and so what could be more foolish than to, to waste money, and in some cases taxpayer money, uh, to provide uh, surgery that will mutilate this person's body and, and, and mar them for life. It's based on a falsehood. It's irreversible. Well, obviously, the wise person says, uh, no, thank you. That's foolish. Uh, the gender God has created me to be, that's what I am, and I will live that identity. I will not try to change what the Creator has given me. Well, that's just one example, one stark and simple example, but uh, you don't have to be as wise as Solomon to see through the foolishness of our culture today. But we're not just here to, to, to point fingers at the people out there, because every time you and I sin, especially as Christians, 
what are we doing? We are, we are entering into the land of folly, to the realm of folly. Because can we sin against God and have no repercussions? Can we sin against God and, 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 and not uh, reap what we sow? No, that, that's true for the Christian as well. So every time we sin, we, we are acting no different. And we know, we know we're acting foolishly. Why is that? Because God, thankfully, has given us the wisdom to see our sin, to see our folly. He gives us the grace to repent of it. That's the difference. Uh, you and I sin, just like others out there in the world, sin. Uh, but God gives us the grace and the wisdom to see it. Uh, the fool is blind to his own sin. You see, that's, that, that's when you're blind to your own fault, uh, That's you're doubly Faulty, And thank God for the wisdom that, that he opens our eyes, enables us to see the wretchedness the, and, and, and the wisdom to hate our sin and turn from it. No, really we shouldn't hate our lives. Why? Because, you know, what, what our life is is a gift of God. And, and the circumstances of our life may be tough, they may be difficult, but they're from the hand of God too. So... You know, we don't hate our lives. And yet, the distinction is, and, and yes, we can even hate to an extent the evil that others do to us and to others. We can hate that evil too. The prophets, the Old Testament did that. But what we need to do is not hate our life, but hate our sin. Do you hate your sin? If you're a Christian, you really do hate your sin. And... Um, don't hate your life, but hate your sin. The wise person, then, is the one who repents of sin and lives, seeks to live a life that God uh, wills us to live. And yet, says Solomon, I perceive that the same event happens to them all. As happens to the fool, it also happens to me. Why then was I more wise? So wisdom, in other words, what Solomon learned is that wisdom does not protect us from bad things that happen in the world. Uh, they don't protect us from uh, trials and trouble. Uh, bad things happen to foolish people. Bad things happen to wise people. You know, someone wrote a book years ago, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Why? Well, bad things happen to everybody. Because uh, well, we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a fallen world. And, you know, bad things happen all the time. Uh, and, it, and it's because of sin. Well, Solomon says, why was I more wise? This is also vanity. But in, in, in addition, you know, no matter how wise we've been or how much we've accomplished in life, he says, we'll also be forgotten just as the fool. You know, our great wisdom uh, may have meant something for the moment, but, but when, when we're gone then what will it matter? We'll, we'll be forgotten. So why bother with wisdom after all? Because death is the great equalizer. You know the saying, there's two universals in life. Right? There's biological termination and then there's the confiscation of our goods by the government, better known as death and taxes. I like how Derek Kidner puts it. He says, it's of little use commending to us the ultimate worth of wisdom if, in the end, none of us will be around to exercise it. 
And so wisdom far exceeds folly, he said, but, but death makes us question whether it's worth pursuing wisdom at all. And if you haven't reflected or struggled with these things, Solomon did it for you uh, to help in, you engage. Uh, we don't like to think about death too much. Uh, we should think about it, but it's painful to do. Uh, anthropologist by the name of Ernest Becker wrote a book titled The Denial of Death. And his argument is that we should practice denial, that we should just ignore it and deny that it exists. And according to Becker, putting death out of our minds is what inspires us to create culture, religion, and love, allowing us to avoid death and achieve immortality. Uh, I don't think that works. (laughs) The denial of death does not do away with death and certainly doesn't give us immortality. It does remind me of that saying by the great philosopher Woody Allen, when he reflected on immortality, he said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality by not dying. Uh, but he couldn't do it, right? He can't, no one can avoid death. So I was listening to a, a, a podcast, a discussion on death this week held by the Veritas Forum. We, they have some very interesting uh, speakers and, and debates and discussions, uh, Christian uh, group. And um, they brought in two professors, a philosophy professor and also a professor of ethics in the medical field. And uh, they were brought to Harvard University to answer questions that students brought them about death. So uh, I don't know how many people came to a a lecture or discussion on death, but uh, some did. And, uh, And, of course, they were presenting their views from a Christian perspective backed up by you know, some other things that they uh, had studied and learned. But uh, death is one of those things that, of course, people fear uh, most in life. Now, the students who came were not, obviously, not all Christian. And one student asked the following question and sent it in, I guess, written down on a card or something. And this student says, I've wondered about death before and what it would be like if I died. It scares me, the idea of non-existence, losing my consciousness into oblivion, never to be reclaimed again. And my heart literally plummets when I think about this. I suppose I would like to know how we can overcome the sphere of death. What a question. It, it, It tells us where at least this one person is at. Maybe there's more people that are thinking this way in life today. Maybe we should ask some questions, right? Uh, As our brother Steve likes to say, ask the diagnostic questions so that we get people thinking about their lives. Ask people questions like, what do you think happens when you die? What do you think is on the other side? What is going to happen to you, do you think? Where where would you go if you were to die today? And, And why do you believe what you believe? Well, people fear death because of the not only because of the unknown that uh, you know that follows, but because death seems to do away with meaning in life. If we all die and that's the end, then what's the point? Why you know of anything uh, that we do in this life? And Solomon's asking that question, and he says, again, initially, <clears throat> all is vanity and grasping for the wind. 
But on further reflection, he, he gives us a different answer, and we'll get to that in a moment. But in verses 17 and 18, he gets to that place where he says he hates his life. And uh, he, he hates his life because all that he's worked for in life is going to be left to somebody else. He's doing all this work for somebody else. That's one thing. And in verse 19, he says, and who knows whether that person's going to be a wise person or a fool. And um, he might feel better about working hard and giving it to a wise person. But, you know, his son Rehoboam is the one who did become his heir and took over as king. He was not a wise person. He was very foolish. He, he listened to his peers instead of the, uh, the, the wise elders of his day. And he lost most of the kingdom that Solomon had built up. Ten northern tribes of Israel broke off and refused to serve him. So Solomon learned here that wisdom offers no protection from what's going to happen to all that we've done. But secondly, it offers no protection from death. Uh, you know, death or foolish heirs. And, and so after thinking about this, maybe he was thinking about Rehoboam. Maybe he kind of already saw the character that he, you know, he had. And, uh, and he said in verse 20, I turned, <clears throat> I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. And earlier in this chapter, we read about some of the labor, right? The, the beautiful gardens, the, the things that he planted, the buildings and so forth. We know he built the temple. But, um, you know, wisdom didn't keep everything he worked for from being lost or destroyed. And indeed, that's what happened. Um, and that's what happened. Eventually, uh, as we learned in Sunday school today, the Babylonians would come in and burn the city and the temple with fire. Well, he pondered all these things in his heart, and, and he was full of despair. And it's no wonder. Uh, do our lives mean anything? Do our meager accomplishments uh, have any purpose at all? Think about all the work that you've done in your life, the, the, the sweat, the toil, the long hours. And uh, in verse 23, he describes the life of the hardworking person. For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. And so you, you've probably been there and done that, right? You, you work a, a long week. You deal with difficult circumstances, difficult people. You come home and try to get some sleep, and all you can do is rehash the day. And you stay wide awake. What's the point of all that? Now, if you could do anything in the world and be successful in it, what would you do? What, imagine your dream job, dream situation. Do you think that that would change anything in your outlook on life? Uh, again, look at Solomon. He had everything he wanted. Humanly speaking, there were no limitations for him. But it couldn't make him happy. It couldn't bring meaning. He still hated life. So... That's not where we should turn. Herman Melville, who wrote Moby Dick, labeled Ecclesiastes as the truest of all books. And what he meant, that it was just, it was blatantly honest, that, that Solomon's, the author, was very honest, brutally so, and realistic about life. And I think that often we are not very honest, right? Somebody says, how are you doing? Of course we say, fine. 
we or we might start grumbling and complaining. That's more honest, at least, uh, uh, but not necessarily a good thing to do either. But who are we kidding? We're all living in a sin-cursed world, and and we're on a collision course with death. It's coming. We can laugh it off. We can drink it off. We can uh, indulge in pleasure. We can return to the pursuit of wisdom, but it's not going to stop death from coming. Can't avoid it. So you got to think about it. And what are you going to do about it? Well, uh, it's not included in the text today, but since I have the whole Bible in front of me, uh, I can tell you uh, that there is an eternity. And even in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is going to say, and a little bit later in the book, that God has put eternity into the heart of man because there is an eternal existence for us all. And I'm going to tell you that there's an afterlife and death is not the end. And, and that if you know Jesus Christ, that, that a far better life is ahead of you after death. Um, but if you don't know the Lord, then this is going to be far worse than the life you have now. Even if you hate your life now in hell, you will hate it all the more. Do you have an assurance of where you will spend eternity? Well, you can if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you to come into my life and, and take over my life and to cleanse my heart and to save me from my sins. And, and you commit your life to him who died on the cross and rose again. Then even though death is coming, you can face it with confidence, with the assurance that to leave the body is to be present with the Lord. If you do know Christ, then the Bible says that we've been just having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that's a good starting place. Right? I have peace with God. Uh, but what about life in this world of it? Do I have to, to wait until I get to heaven to experience purpose and meaning? Uh, you know, we put it on a person's tombstone the, the, the day they're born and the day they die. And between those two poles, that's, that's life. Uh, the basic question is, does my life between those two poles have meaning and purpose my everyday life? And the answer is yes. Uh, if you notice my pause as I began to read verse 24, it's because it's such a shocking change. Phil, Phil Riken writes, he says, nothing prepares us for what comes next because suddenly Ecclesiastes takes a surprising turn. Without any warning, the preacher says the first truly positive thing in the entire book. It took a while for us to get there, but here it is. <laughs> Nothing's better for a man than he should eat and drink. His soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. And then the ESV translation adds in the next verse that for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? That is apart from God. <clears throat> so the ordinary blessings, the pleasures of life, uh, whether you're rich or poor, doesn't matter, are from the hand of of God, and not only are the blessings from God, but the ability to enjoy those blessings as His gifts is also from God. Well, Solomon has mentioned God once before this verse, and it was kind of almost in passing. But 
But now he's bringing God into the picture as the, as the giver of every good and perfect gift, as, as the fount of every blessing. And he's not saying eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We could maybe think that, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying eat and drink modestly and contentedly and as unto the Lord, giving thanks for these gifts from his hand. He's saying what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you know, therefore whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Enjoy it as his gift and, and, and give thanks to God for it. Because God alone brings lasting blessing and he, and he can bless your life and bring it to you in the midst of the vain and meaningless world that we live in. In the midst of feeling like I hate my life, God can turn it around in an instant and so that you realize there's much to rejoice in and there is hope. Well, nothing in this life lasts forever. Yes, it's all temporary. It's fleeting. But the temporary fleeting joys of life, not that we live for them, but through them we can find meaning and purpose. Now, it may not be the meaning and purpose that, that you would like to, to have. I don't know what meaning and purpose uh, you know you think of when, when you hear those things. But God's... You know, intention for meaning and purpose in your life and my life is, is pretty simple. Uh, to, to, to do his will, to enjoy these things. Uh, and, and it says, for God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. To walk before God, uh, like Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God, to, to not be conformed by the world. Uh, these are the things that are... Uh, bring great purpose and meaning to our lives. And of course, when he says, you know, to the man who is good in his sight, he's not talking about anyone that's good in and of themselves. None of us are. Uh, it, it's those who are made good by his efficacious grace. And if you have a new heart from God, you'll have new desires, you'll have good desires, and uh, you won't want to abuse God's gifts. You'll want to use them and enjoy them, but not abuse them and not Worship them as idols. <clears throat> Such a person, you see, who trusts in God, uh, takes those blessings. Uh, and, and even if it's a meager meal, uh, it, it's not you know, from a five-star restaurant or anything like that, but it's just, just serving of, of, of vegetables, whatever it may be, uh, then you have a table of feasting. You have a table of blessing. In the sight of God. God says, you know, in, in Psalm 23, that it, we have a, a uh, table prepared before us, even in the presence of our enemies. So even if we're under attack, we can enjoy the blessings of life. And he says, but to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. I think that that means basically that that all that the sinner is doing, he's gathering, he's gathering, but he never gets anything. He's never able to fully enjoy those things. And when he dies, and ultimately, the whole earth will be given to believers. The Bible says the meat will inherit the earth. Everything is, is, is being uh, channeled and focused in eternity for those who belong to Jesus. Well... Here at the end of chapter 2, we have a bit of light coming in the door. All right? 
to, to brighten that bleak scenario of vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And you may feel today that your prospects in life are bleak. You may even kind of hate your life right now. I don't know. But let me urge you to just crack that door open. Let a little bit of this light in to your life right now. Sunshine of God's grace and his love. Let it shine into your heart a little bit. Enjoy the life that you have because there are countless blessings all around you if you have eyes to see. Do you have eyes in your head? May God give you grace to see me, to see uh, there are earthly and temporal blessings. They are gifts from his hand. Uh, But there are greater blessings, spiritual and eternal blessings that come from him. Enjoy God's gifts. Enjoy God himself. Enjoy the relationship. If you know Christ by faith, if he's your Savior and Lord, then you have a relationship with God. God, your Father, is your Father and he loves you. Jesus Christ is your Savior. He'll never leave you. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you. He will not depart from you. He will guide you throughout this short life and eventually lead you to God's banqueting table above. There's going to be an eternal feast of joy and gladness. And in this light, this little bit of light that Solomon's letting in, we see that life does have meaning. There is meaning, after all. Have you found it? Are you experiencing it? It's found in knowing God, knowing His Son, Jesus Christ, and realizing that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above with whom there is no shadow of turning. Praise His holy name. God is good. He's full of grace and truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is. And if you know Him, life is not vain. It has great and eternal meaning and purpose. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.